Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 11. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each of them over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Welcome to New King Church. We're glad you're here this morning. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Our lead pastor, Ben, is uh, away on sabbatical for a couple of months, and he went to a really great place in the world, Arizona. I'm not sure that's exactly where he is now, but I think he's hotter than we are. Last I saw, it was like 110 out there, so he's he's smoking, right? He's smoking. Um, This sermon today is about doubt. There's a lot of ways I could, have, I could teach this, but today I want to talk about doubt. And doubt is something that if we're honest, we all have. As a pastor, it is probably the number one thing that people come and uh, share with me. And it takes a little while. And uh, we have maybe a couple of meetings or a couple of sessions or we talk a few times and then they, they want to have my ear. They want to whisper it in my ear. For some reason, they pull me close and they say to me, I doubt. And doubts take, upon, t- take on two primary forms. The first form is we doubt what God says. We doubt his word. We doubt his promises. And people almost never whisper in my ear, Eric, I I doubt God's word. They don't do that. They don't live it out. That's how it shows itself. They live as if God's promises aren't true. Maybe that's you. I know I do it. The second way that it happens is the more common way. 
It's not doubting God and his promises. It's doubting yourself. And people will whisper in my ear, Eric, I, I don't know if when I get to heaven if God is really going to accept me. And I say, well, why? And the answer is, I haven't really been very good this past week or this past month or this past year. And they doubt themselves. Maybe that's you. I know I have that when I have a bad week. Well, this pastor or this passage deals with both of these issues. So let me pray, and then I'm going to jump right in. We're going to go through it. Let's pray together. Father God, oh Lord, help me this morning to preach your word, to do it in a way that is accurate to the text but helpful to the doubts that we have. Father, I preach to myself, help dispel the doubts in me too. Let us hear what you have to say this morning through this passage. I pray this, we pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. So, of course, you know me, where are we in Genesis? Can't start without that. We're in the 15th chapter, we're in the life of Abram. Goes from 12 to about 22, divided into two halves. The first half is all about land. Someone was here a couple weeks ago. All about the land. The second half is all about the, the seed, the offspring. So you can divide it into those two halves. And it's interesting. Our chapter today, we find that, that God cuts a covenant with Abram concerning the land. In a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the 17th chapter, and we find another covenant is cut. Guess what that has to do with? The seed, yeah. And something else is cut there. That's the one about circumcision. I'm not doing that one, thankfully. I don't have to deal with all that stuff. And then in 20, so God cuts two covenants, one about the land, one about the seed. And then chapter 22, we find this culmination where where God calls Abram to offer his son, his only son, the son that he loves on the mountain in Moriah. And when Abram does that, God then swears an oath. He swears an oath. These three things are significant and they build upon each other. So there's a movie that just came out uh, this early spring, maybe over the winter. It's called His Only Son. It's on Amazon Prime. It is phenomenal. It is about the life of Abram. It starts off with him going to sacrifice his son and then in flashbacks covers everything else. See it. His only son, Amazon Prime, it is phenomenally well done. Okay, that's the end of my introduction. We're going to go and look at this chapter. There's two parts. Part number one, Abram doubts God. Part number two, Abram doubts himself. And we're going to see how that unfolds. So if you have a Bible, I think we have it up here on the screen. Let's have a look at verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After what things? 
after what things. You always go back. You make sure you know where you are in the text. We don't want to pull it out of context. After what things. Chapter 14. There was war. Four kings against five. Lot and his family are taken. Abram hears about it. And he, he gets his band of men together, and they go and they rescue Lot. They, they fight the fight, they win the battle, and, and, and Lot is rescued. At the end of the chapter, very interesting, this character named Melchizedek shows up. Actually, two characters show up. Melchizedek, king of, king of righteousness, king of peace, Priest of the Most High God, he's there. And then the king of Sodom, the evil, rotten, sinful Sodom shows up. And they both offer Abram something. And Abram has a choice to make. Do I choose one or the other? And he does the right thing. He chooses to, to, to talk to this guy, Melchizedek, and they have food together. And with Sodom, he's like, I'm not touching anything from you. It's almost like a test. And Abram passes it. So what happens in chapter 14 is Abram has a physical victory. He fights the battle and he wins the battle. And then he has a little moral test and he he wins that one. He does the right thing. And it's all great. So after these things, after all this happened... Verse 1 of 15, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Why that? Why would God come at that moment and say, I'm your shield? Remember, Abram is a shepherd. Somehow, miraculously, he's beaten all these kings with his band of men. These shepherds with clubs and sticks and maybe an old sword here or there. He's probably afraid they're going to retaliate. So God comes in and says, Abram, I am your shield. And what else? Your reward shall be very great. He didn't take the reward from Sodom. He says, I'll touch nothing. I'll touch none of your nasty, filthy loot or or any of that stuff. I don't want anything to do with it. In fact, I'm going to give to Melchizedek a tenth. And God says, your reward... You did the right thing. Your reward is great. So all is really cool. God appears. He reassures Abram. And then there's that little three-letter word, but. Verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I Continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be the heir. But did you ever notice in your Christian life That after you have a victory, where things go really good and for some reason you do the right thing, 
you stand up for what's right, you walk into a situation and you bring the kingdom and you bring justice and grace and love. You preach the gospel to somebody that you had no idea you'd ever have the nerve to do it. You're obedient to God and you do it and the next day you wake up and you're in the depths of despair. That seems to be the pattern. I don't know why that is. Maybe God does it to bring us humility. But we see it like in the life of Elijah the prophet. He has this unbelievable victory. Then the next day he runs off into the desert and says, I wish I was dead. So just, just think about that. Oftentimes, and be prepared for it. Oftentimes after a great victory comes a little doubt and a little despair. Maybe it's a good thing it brings humility. But... God, God deals with this. This is the, the greatest part about this. Behold, Abram says, as if God didn't see. He says, hey, God, look, oh, by the way, I'm childless, and this dumbhead Eliezer of Damascus, he's in my house. I guess I'm going to make him the heir. He's kind of a dumbhead. I, I don't want to do this. But I got no other choice. That's what they did in those days. If there was no male child, then you took your servant and he became the heir. And, and, and Abram says, what are you going to do, God? I doubt you. See, Abram knew that he was an old man. He knew that his wife was an old woman. He knew that time was marching on and there's no hint month after month. There's no baby. Verse four, and behold, I love that. Abram says, look God. God says, no Abram, you look. How many times have you been in that situation? You go up to God and you call up to God. You say, God, look. And then God answers and says, no, you look. The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And what does he do? He gives Abram a sign. Now, with God, he could have done anything. He could have given him any sign. But he puts his arm around him. I'm making that up. I'm just pretending what might have happened. They're in the hut. They're in the tent. It's dark out. It's nighttime. And God says, come outside with me for a minute. Come out with me. I want to show you something. And Abram goes out. The night is dark. And, and they're in the desert. And the lights of Las Vegas haven't quite come to pass yet. So the seeing, when you're in astronomy, they call it the seeing. They say, how is the seeing tonight? Meaning, how clearly can you see the stars? And they go out. And God says, in the sweetest most beautiful, most loving, most caring way. My child, look up. Look at the stars. Number the stars if you can. If you are able to number them, 
And so there's a pause. I don't know if you noticed that. Because it says, then he said to him. There's a little pause. And you imagine. I don't know how it worked exactly. But there's Abram. Like a child. Maybe you've done that with your son or your daughter. Maybe, maybe your parents have done that with you. Let's look at the stars. Can you count them? There was a little pause. And God says, so shall your offspring be. Now, God didn't have to do any of that. He could have just said, well, just listen to me, will you? No, he takes him outside in a moment of incredible love and fellowship and kindness and gentleness. Look at the stars. Can you count them? That's going to be your offspring. It is beautiful. It is lovely. This is the God that you and I deal with. And Abram believed God. He believed him. And God counted that as righteousness. Now this verse, there have been books written about this verse, about what it means theologically, what it means spiritually, what it means practically. It means this. God spoke. Abram believed it. He trusted it. He heard it, and he said, okay, God, I believe you. You are trustworthy. It's as simple as that. I don't think there's more to it. Believing God at his word. Now, there's a whole chapter in the New Testament that describes all of this And we don't have time to read it. I was telling uh, Frank this morning, man, if we go to Romans 4, it's in Romans 4. If we go there, I'll have a whole nother sermon. That will be another hour and 45 minutes, and you don't want that. But we are going to go to Romans 4. Romans 4 gives the whole explanation of what was happening there. And I want to just pull out three things. This is Paul writing, and I want to pull out three things that describe what happened with Abram. And what it means for you and I today. You with me on that? Okay. I'm sorry we couldn't put it up this morning. But if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to read three little sections, three little verses. And draw out from each something that Paul says about Abram. And about God and about us. So... Again, whole chapter. If you want to spend some time, read Romans chapter 4. It's all about this event. It's very, very important. Verse 16 says, it talks about it depends on faith, that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. So what Paul is doing in chapter 4 is he's saying Abram's faith came way before the law came. The law came under Moses, the next book of the Bible, Exodus. This happened before that. And it's about faith. It's about grace. It's about believing God. And then uh, verse 17 says, or the end of verse 16, 
the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Who is God in this? God is the one that brings life to the, to the dead. And he also was the one that created all things. So whenever we read scripture, we always say, who is God? Who are we? What did God do? Who is God? He's a creator. He brings life from the dead. All pertinent to this story that we're talking about. Verse 18, in hope, Abram believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as it had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He's looking at his situation, and he says, I'm dead. My wife is dead. There's no chance, but I know who God is. Who is God? He creates, and he brings life from the dead. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to what he had promised. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That's worship. He gave glory to God. It's worship. His faith grew stronger as he worshiped God. And then finally, verse 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Here's where we come in. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let me summarize that. Who is God? He is the God of creation. He is the God of resurrection. He brings life to the dead. This is who God is. This is what he does. He brings life. to. Do you feel dead in your faith? Do you feel a deadness creeping into your soul sometimes? Who is God? He is the creator and the resurrector. Secondly, who are we? We are created to worship God. And when we do that, it increases our faith. It encourages us. One of the worst things we can do when we have doubts and we're discouraged is not come around other Christians. We are created to be with other Christians. We're created to be in community, and that community worships God. You have doubts? Know who God is. He is the creator and the resurrector. Even though your faith feels dead, he can make it alive. How do I do it? 
I come in with other Christians. That's one thing you can do. You worship together. It increases your faith. And so what did God do about all this? It's the cross. Do you not see? It's laid out here at the very end. It's the cross. He delivered up his own son for our trespasses and raised him as the resurrector for our justification. This will help dispel the doubts. Who is God? The creator, the resurrector. Who are we? We are created to be in community to worship him. Are you doing that? What did God do about it? He sent his son, the cross. This will help dispel our doubts. Look to God's word, look to the heavens. Remember, that's what God said. God spoke, and then he says, look to the heavens. Why the heavens? Why do you and I look to the heavens? For Abram, it was to count the stars. That's his offspring. Because we see by the eye of faith. Our king, our Jesus, sitting at God's right hand, crowned with glory and honor. That helps dispel our doubts. Doubt God, those three things. Now we come to the second half when we doubt ourselves. So what happens next? Got to get all the way back to Genesis. Now Abram doubts himself. And be patient with me as I tease this out a little bit. Verse 7. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So now it comes back to the land, and the rest of the chapter is going to be about the land. This is God's self-disclosure. I I gave you a call, I gave you a purpose, and I brought you out. And now Abram responds to that. Notice what he says in verse 8 of chapter 15. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know? What was Abram worried about? What exactly was he doubting? We have to go back to the call of Abram. Chapter 12. God calls him out. And he says, I want you to go out. I want to leave your family. I want to leave your father's house. I want, to leave, want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your kin. And I'm going to send you out into a land that you don't know where you're going. So it depended upon Abram going. It depended upon his obedience. He couldn't just sit there. He had to go. And he had to go as God called him to go. And how did he do that? Well, not so good. Some parts good, some parts not so good. First off, he he didn't actually leave exactly his whole family. He brought Lot with him. And as we see this whole section unfold, everything with Lot is kind of a negative pain in the neck. Didn't do so well there. 
And then he does well. Remember the end of, of chapter 12 where he goes in and he, he goes and he establishes these, these altars. He goes into the promised land and in the, in the face of a, of a shrine to a false god, he made an altar. He was claiming the, the land for the kingdom. He was bringing the kingdom as he was supposed to do. All that went great. He was doing what God wanted him to do and then a famine hit the land. It doesn't say Abram called upon God, help me through the famine. It doesn't say anything. He pulled up stakes and he went to Egypt. And that didn't turn out very well. So Abram, he wasn't a perfect guy. So in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I got this first one. I'm dead. My wife is dead. There's nothing I can do about it. Only God can do it. I'll trust him. Doesn't depend upon me in any way. Now the part that depends on me In his mind, he's thinking, oh God, I haven't done a very good job so far. I know I haven't. The readers who read this know he hasn't. God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? Now it depends on you and me. What are you going to do about that? He's doubting himself. And don't you and I do the same thing? So what happens? Verse 9. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought all of these, cut them in half, laid them each over against the other. He didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What on earth is going on here? This is ridiculous. How is this going to help dispel his doubts? It looks like some kind of a sacrifice. What is Abram doing? Now you have to, in your mind, picture this. He takes these animals, he cuts them in half, and he lays them out, and he's constructing a gruesome path, an aisle of death. What is going on with that? What could this be about? How could this dispel doubt? Well, in our day, like the day that we live in, let's say we want to buy a house in Chittenden County. And we have 80 gazillion dollars in the bank, and that's just a down payment, right, for a house in Chittenden County. And the first thing we do is we find a place and we, we get a little purchase and sale agreement, don't we? We get this, con- we, we say the, then we say the house is under contract. And, 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 and a contract is, is a binding agreement that says that each person will do certain things. The property owner will sell the house under certain conditions. The, the person that wants to buy will buy it to have a certain amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you don't do it, there's these certain things. Well, you don't get your deposit back. You don't get your 80 gazillion dollars back. All these things. It's contract, we call it. In those days, this is how they made a contract. Aren't you glad we don't live in those days? <laughs> you imagine going up to, to, the, to the real estate person. Okay, it's time to sign our contract. We're going to get some animals and cut them in half. And so what would happen? What would happen as this chapter plays out? What would happen is both parties walk through the aisle of death. They walk through it together 
with the dead bodies on the left and on the right, and they basically are acting out the contract that you and I just signed today. They act it out. And they're basically saying, if I don't keep my part of the agreement, if I don't do my side of it, then I will be like one of these animals. Kill me, cut me in half, splay me out, I'm dead. That's how it worked. And they acted out the contract or the covenant. This is a covenant, it's a contract, it's a binding agreement. And so both parties walk through and uh, all of that stuff happens. But something else happens first. Hold all that thought. There's this little section that just shows up here. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there, they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you should go to your fathers in peace. You'll, you'll be buried in a good old in a good old age, they'll come back in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we have this little interlude where God starts talking about the future. He says, Abram, your people are going to be in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, for four generations. Great darkness comes upon them. This is what's going to happen to you. You're not even going to make it into the promise. You're going to die What is that doing in there? And then the next verse gets back to the cutting of the covenant. What's that doing in there? It is the most helpful thing you can imagine. God is saying to Abram, life is not easy. The darkness comes. Have you felt the darkness? Have you felt the darkness of the day that we live in? Our lives as Christians, Jesus says, in this life, you will have tribulation. Peter says, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that will overtake you. God is putting a dose of reality into what it means to walk with God. Promises aren't going to happen overnight. You're going to have to wait for them. It's going to be hard, but in the end, God will deliver on his promises, and he delivered the slaves after 400 years in, from, from Egypt. So it's a dose of reality. The Christian life is hard. Abram's life was hard. He didn't get to see it all. He had to wait, and that's true for you and I. We see Jesus by the eye of faith. One day, we'll see him. Every eye will see him and every tongue will confess. But not today. Maybe today. Maybe today. Okay, now back to the covenant. The animals are arranged. They're cut in half. The isle of death is before them. And what happens is, God and Abram walk down the isle of death together and each person says, if I don't keep my end of the agreement, then I'll die. I'll be cut in half. I'll be cursed. Is that what happens? Read verse 17. 
When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Who walked through? Who walked through? Who didn't walk through? Only God walked through. Only God walked through that Isle of Death. Abram didn't. He just watched. What does that mean? It means it all depends upon God. It doesn't depend upon you. Yes, we're called to be obedient. Yes, we're called to believe him. Yes, we're called to trust him. But the reality of the matter is our faith isn't perfect. Our trust isn't 100%. Our obedience is maybe 2% at best. What happens when we get into heaven? It's all God's work. God says, I will be cursed. God says, I will be cut in half. God says, I will die. Well, how could God die? How could God be torn in half? How could God be cursed? And you know the answer. It was Jesus that walked the aisle of death. It was Jesus that was torn in two by judgment. It was Jesus that shed his blood for us. It was Jesus that died. You see, it doesn't depend upon you and I. It depends upon what he did, not what we do. And that doesn't mean we go out and act any way we want. No, no, no. Romans talks about that too. Shall we, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound and all that? No, no, no. No, of course not. We do what we can to be obedient to the scriptures. But at the end of the day, it's what Jesus did. Not what you did. In the year of our Lord 2016, many years ago, I was in Minneapolis, and uh, I was at a Bible conference there, and a man named D.A. Carson was speaking on uh, Revelation 12, and he told a story. I've told this story once before here at New King, but I'm going to tell it again this morning because it's something that's pertinent to where we are. And it's something, this little story is about two, three minutes long. I watch that story on YouTube once a month. You can pull it up and see it. Whenever I doubt, whenever I wake up and say, oh God, what have I done? I pull it up and it helps me. Here's the story. This is D.A. Carson's words, not mine. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown. Very Jewish names, by the way. It's the day before the very first Passover. And they're having a little discussion in the land of Goshen. And Smith says to Brown, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? 
And Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous about it. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb? Haven't you taken the blood and applied it to the doorposts and the lintel? Haven't you, haven't you eaten the, the Passover supper? Aren't you packed and ready to go? And the other guy says, well, of course I've done all that. I'm not stupid. But it's pretty scary when you think about it. Think of all the things that have happened recently. Flies and rivers turning to blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's a threat of the firstborn son being killed. (laughs) It's okay for you. You've got three sons, but I've just got my Charlie. That's all I've got. And the angel of death is passing through tonight. I know what God says. He says, put the blood there. But it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night's over. And that night, the angel of death came through. Whose sons were saved? Well, the answer, of course, is both of them. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. The blood silences the accusers of the brother as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciousness when he accuses us directly. How many times do you and I writhe in agony asking if God could ever love us enough, if he could ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, selfish things after 40 years in the faith? What are you going to say to God when you go to heaven? Oh, God, I tried hard. I meant well. I had my, my bad moments. No. You're not going to say that. No, no, no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died. And that he died for me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That is the ground of all human assurance before God. That is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing the intensity of our faith. So fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of the faith that saves us. We overcome on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. It's not what we do. It's what Jesus did. That dispels all our doubts. It was Jesus that took the curse. It was Jesus that walked the aisle of death. It was Jesus that was cut apart in judgment. It was Jesus that died for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story so old 
about Abram and his doubts. Father, we are no different. We doubt just as much, if not more. Father, help us with our doubts. Cast our eyes upon your son, Jesus. Let us see what he did and how it is sufficient. Take away our doubts by focusing us on the cross. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did there. Help us to be more faithful. Help us to be more obedient as we look to you, our God and Father, and our Lord Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.